I mentioned, this is kind of like a mini uh, series within the series on the Sermon on the Mount. I wanted to spend a few weeks talking about prayer. And so today we're going to look at the question of why do we pray? <clears throat> Not so much philosophically, but more personally. Why do you pray? What is the intent behind it, the purpose? And then Wednesday night for Ash Wednesday service, we're going to look at why, uh, how to pray, uh, building that off of the uh, Lord's Prayer. And uh, so today, as we begin this little mini-series on prayer, um, one of the things that I want to share with you is that I'm going to speak to you as followers um, of Jesus, people who want to um, see their lives more and more in alignment with who Jesus is. And so as we take a look at that uh, focus um, towards the end, I wanted to highlight some learnings that have been at least very helpful for me. So the first thing <clears throat> that I wanted to mention is that, um, that when we talk about how we pray or wh why we pray, um, oftentimes we pray maybe not for the right reason, or we give money not for the right reason. Because in this reading, Jesus is talking about almsgiving, which could be a form of prayer. It's giving to charity, giving to, to the poor and the needy. Or um, we could look at, look at it more exclusively in the second part of why do we pray and are we trying to impress someone with our spiritual life? So when I was a younger pastor... 15, 20 years ago, I was experiencing some success, some, some institutional success, some religious institutional <laughs> success in my ministry. I, uh, uh, you might say that I had a fairly, for a young pastor, I had a fairly impressive uh, vita or resume, and um, I was on LinkedIn and I would have people searching my information and asking me to speak. I was um, serving on a national board for the Lutheran Church at the time for Congregational Life and Ministry. And um, my name was even being bounced around uh, for bishop. Um, and so I was also at that time, we had just finished raising a half million dollars to start building the preschool and uh, from the congregation. <clears throat> so I was being noticed around the church. And um, thankfully, in the midst of that growing success, God brought my life back into realignment. Well, it started with um, being told by my cardiologist that, um, that my two of my, well, at the time, we thought it was one valve was bad. Found out when they got in there that two valves were bad. And uh, from my uh, congenital heart defects. <clears throat> and also that, um, that I also needed the, the VSD reclosed. Um, so I ended up in Cleveland at the Cleveland Clinic for 10 days of surgery and recovery. And um, if that wasn't enough to stop me in my tracks, because, I mean... At that point, um, 
my name was no longer being put out there for a bishop candidate. I mean, who wants a bishop that's got heart problems? Um, you know, you, you got to be in good health to do that job, right? And, um, and, and so, you know, God was realigning me. Um, and it was a, actually a four-year-old little boy from the preschool who brought it into full alignment. I'd been beat down by my bishop. I wasn't off on sick leave. I was forced to take three months of disability. Um, my recovery wasn't smooth like it had been previous surgeries. And uh, I've been through this three times. The third time was not the charm. Um, and so I was going through some really challenging experiences. And then I finally got permission after four months, four and a half months to go back to work. And uh, so I part-time was preaching and um, one day we were at the preschool, I was doing chapel for the preschoolers. That was when we had a total of 60 students, so we had probably 30 in the classroom on that day. And so I had them all sitting around in a circle, and I had been gone now for some time. And I said, hi, my name is Pastor Steve, and I'm here to tell you a Bible story. And this little four-year-old boy raised his hand. So I finally called on him, and he, he said, you're not Pastor Steve. <laughs> I, that's what I, I kind of chuckled. No, no, I, I am Pastor Steve, and I'm here to tell you about... <laughs> All right, what would you like? No, you're not Pastor Steve. He said, my mom said Pastor Steve went to heaven this summer. You can't be Pastor Steve. <laughs> so, you know, God got his point across at this moment in my life. Um, you know, thankfully... Um, he wasn't quite accurate. <laughs> so, <clears throat> the issue wasn't my success. The issue was my purpose. Why was I doing what I was doing? I was doing it for my own personal success, my own personal achievement. I wasn't doing it for God, I was doing it for Steve. And this isn't just a warning against pride because, because there's more than just pride involved in Jesus' teachings. What he's also calling for is a realignment of our purpose as followers of Jesus. Your giving, you see, is not to be a show about how much you have given. It's not to be about how great you are because you give this much. That is not the point of giving. However, neither is, is it appropriate for no one to know what you're giving. Are you getting a little uncomfortable here? So there is, apparently, according to Scripture, someone who should be aware of your giving. And it's your pastor. No, just kidding. It's not your pastor. Well, let's take a look at verse 4. Jesus tells us exactly who, who will know. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So God will see what you give. God sees what you give. So God is not just wanting to see what you give, but he actually would like to talk to you about it. 
be in communion. Let's, uh, let's have a conversation about our giving, about this relationship that we have. Because, you know, the problem is that sometimes we give and we pray in secret, we say that, so that we don't actually have to pray or, or give. And, and so when we don't pray, when we don't give, God still sees that. And it's not, I don't think, like this big hammer of judgment. It's more like, wait a minute, I thought our relationship meant something here. Don't we want to have a relationship? And so our, our giving and our praying, is one. those are some of the ways that, that we work on that relationship. So Jesus is highlighting the same thing about prayer. Um, when he says, hypocrites love to, uh, I mean, pastors love to pray publicly. No, hypocrites. Um, where everyone can see them. And, and so are we praying for the show or are we praying for no one to see us so that we don't have to pray? Um, one of the things that God changed in me was um, I would often make comments to people when they would come and talk to me after church about an issue that they're going through, and I would say, I'll pray for you. I don't do that now. <laughs> what I try to do now is I'll say, let's pray now. Why wait? Because if I wait, I'm going to forget, or I'm not going to pray, and then I've really lied to you. And so, when you come to me, and you have a prayer concern, most likely what I will do today is I'll say, well, let's, let's pray right now. So prayer is something that is good when it's in alignment with God's purpose. One of the translations says, when you pray, go to your closet, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in secret. Well, that's good as long as you're in prayer with your father and so the again the problem is is that oftentimes we go to the closet and then we don't pray so the same response happens in verse 6b after that um, from almsgiving to the one on prayer when jesus says uh, don't throw your i'm sorry that's <laughs> That's coming up in chapter 7. That'll be a fun one. I skipped two pages there. Um, when you pray, pray to your Father in private, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. It might be easier for me to explain this teaching by telling you a story from the Old Testament, from 2 Kings um, chapter 5. And it's a story about a military commander named Naaman, he was a military commander for the region of Aram, A-R-A-M, which would be kind of today's Syria. And um, Naaman was a very prominent and powerful military commander. He had had great success. He had made encroachments into Israel multiple times, and every time he came away with uh, more loot. And uh, not only possessions and money, gold and silver and things like that, when he came away, 
he would also come with Israelites that he had captured and turned into slaves. So this prominent military commander um, was loved and admired by the king, the king of Aram. And um, the military commander, Naaman, had only one little deficit. And that issue was he suffered from leprosy. Well, the story goes that one of the Israelites' slaves was given to Naaman's wife as a servant girl. And uh, after observing that Naaman had suffered from leprosy, the little girl spoke up to her mistress, Naaman's wife, and said, you know, Naaman should go to see the great prophet in Israel. She's referring to Elisha. Because by the power of God, Elisha could heal your husband from his leprosy. Well, the wife tells Naaman what she has heard. Naaman goes to his king and he says, they tell me that there's a prophet in Israel and that this prophet and his God can heal me from this leprosy. Could I have permission to go? Well, this is quite a, a bold ask from Naaman because there's already a god in Aram, the god of Hadad Raman. Um, Raman is the sun god, and um, so that's who the king worships. That's who Naaman has been worshiping, and now he's asking for permission to go to another country to see another prophet about another god. The king gives him permission. Not only does he give him permission, he puts together a letter. That's like uh, a diplomatic entree. I mean, this is an official letter from the king of Aram to the king of Israel. Please receive my military commander Naaman. He seeks to see a prophet who can heal him from his leprosy. Please accept him as my emissary. So Naaman's not just going there as a military commander. He's going there as the king, the king of Aram. When he gets there, the king receives him, reads the letter, realizes that he wants to be healed from this leprosy, and, um, well, it's, it's kind of strange because um, once the king hears what he wants, he tears his clothes <laughs> in dismay. So the king of Israel has received this emissary from Aram who's requested to be healed from his leprosy and the king tears his clothes. Now, there's two reasons why you would tear your clothes. One reason is for grief. When you're mourning, you would tear, tear your clothes. The other reason that you would tear your clothes is because you were highly agitated and angry, frustrated, kind of like throwing your cell phone against the wall kind of anger. So it's the latter one for the king of Israel. And um, so he, he is upset because, um, well, the first question that he has is, did, did Naaman come on a secret mission to capture my, my country? You know, is, is this a setup? Or is he truly wanting to receive um, some kind of healing? So that's the first question that's running through the king's mind. The second question 
becomes, who does this guy think I am? He says, what do, you th- do you think I can give life and take life, take life away? You expect me to heal you? Well, the king is frustrated and upset, but Naaman um, continues to, to remain there. And Elisha, the prophet, word travels fast. He gets word that Naaman is there to see him to be healed. And so Naaman sends a messenger to the king, one of his servants, and he says, tell the king to send Naaman to me. So Naaman is sent on to Elisha. He goes up to the front door of Elisha's house. He rings the doorbell, the ring button, I mean, and, uh, and the door opens, and there is a servant there. And the servant does not invite him in. Remember, he has this letter, this diplomatic letter of, of entrance, and he will not be allowed in. And then the messenger says, the prophet has told me to tell you this. Go to the Jordan River and wash yourself, ritually wash yourself, seven times in the Jordan River. Well, Naaman, earlier the king of Israel is upset. Now Naaman is in a rage. He is very angry, very upset, because he has been told that he has to wash seven times in the Jordan River. And his sarcastic comment is, if I'm going to wash in the river, there's a couple of much nicer, cleaner rivers up in Aram. Why not go there? But fortunately, this military commander, Naaman, had some um, very, very good counsel uh, his officers, and uh, that he went to Israel with. And his officers knew that he was angry. You see, Elisha sends out the messenger. The messenger tells him to go to the river Jordan and wash himself seven times to be healed. And he is insulted. He is insulted that he has not received appropriately as an emissary from the king of Aram, And then he is also insulted that he has such a stupid little simple thing that he's supposed to do. Go and wash myself seven times in the river. Patty and I, last August, we were back in uh, Minneapolis for a wedding of um, dear friends of ours, godchildren. Um, And one of the daughters was getting married, and so we were there for the wedding. And it just so happened to be that the Arizona Cardinals were playing against little Vikings there on that Saturday afternoon when we were free. The wedding was Friday. And, uh, and, and so I just happened to have some tickets um, for, for sitting on the Viking side. And, um, and when, when we were at the, at the game, whenever they would score a touchdown, I mean, it was like spectacular. I mean, first of all, when they come out onto the field, they come out through these big blocks of ice, you know, with fire and ice and then when they score a touchdown, there's fireworks inside the dome, and then the big Gallahorn blows the big sound of the horn. And, you know, it, it is quite a show. And I, and I think that that's what Naaman was expecting. I think he wanted to be healed in a miraculous, spectacular way that he could really talk about. 
And when he was told that he was supposed to go to the Jordan, the brown, dusty, dirty Jordan River and wash seven times, it was like an insult. Why not, why not go climb Mount Kilimanjaro? Why do I have to go and wash in the Jordan River? So he's angry, he's insulted. And so finally, his military officers corral him. And they help to realign him. What they tell him is, if the prophet would have told you to do something really difficult, wouldn't you have gone and done that? Well, yes, I would have. Then why not just go to the Jordan River and wash seven times? So this is one of the first lessons that I have learned from this story. Have a small community around you who can challenge you. Have two or three people who can speak the truth to you in love that will keep you in alignment with the purpose of God in your life. Who can challenge you? Who will you allow to speak the truth to you? And don't tell me it's your spouse, because when I told that story last week, you know, about do I tell the truth to Patty, I, you should have seen all the heads going like, no, don't tell her the truth. <laughs> so it's not going to be your spouse. Well, it might be, but... So do you have people around you who can be accountable, keep you accountable to your purpose, God, to your God calling, to your God-given purpose? The second lesson that I have learned from this story is don't always expect fireworks. Sometimes ministry is just a continual, hard, grinded-out kind of job. When God calls you to do stuff, sometimes there is nothing really spectacular about it. You're looking for miracles, you're looking for spiritual breakthroughs, and, and it just doesn't come. This man was asked to wash not once, but seven times. I think, I think it took him seven times to cool down. I mean, washed once, came back up, ah, still raging, you know. Washed a second time, still angry, third time, still frustrated and angry. Fourth time, okay, now he's calming down a little bit. Fifth time he washed, and now it's calming, calming even more. Sixth time, it's like, okay, now I'm ready to do this. Seventh time. He comes up and he's cleansed. Skin like a baby. And so, when we talk about being in alignment, sometimes it's just hard, grinded out work to get refocused and to stay focused following Jesus. I thought, what if Naaman had just walked away and gone home. I mean, he could have. What if he, if the military officers wouldn't have spoken to him, just let him make his own decisions? What if he had gone home? He would have continued to suffer from the leprosy. His life would have been shortened. He would not have had the fullness of life that he would have with the healing. 
And when, when I thought about that, I thought, you know, sometimes when bad things happen to us, we blame God. We get angry and we blame God for it. Maybe, maybe our lives, however, are more like Naaman's. Maybe, maybe it's not God's fault. <laughs> maybe it's our fault for not listening and not responding the way that God has called us to do. So the first thing that I've learned, do you have a small group of people around you to help keep you in alignment? The second one is don't always expect fireworks in ministry. Another story of that, I was at a conference a few weeks ago, great conference, learned lots of new stuff, and uh, got refreshed on the marriage course that we're teaching, and uh, so it was very helpful. The most helpful part of the whole conference for me, however, was the worship. And during the worship, you know, they had like, because this is a lot of different denominations and non-denominations, and, and so uh, there were like 1,800 people at this conference uh, here in Phoenix, and when one of the women ministers spoke, she said, um, she and her husband are both pastors, she said, I told my husband that, you know, someday what I would long to hear in church during the testimony time, during the witness time or the breakthrough moment time, she said, what I'd long to hear is a story of someone who has experienced severe suffering in their life as a Christian, that they have pleaded to God to please free them from this suffering and to ask for God's presence and healing and to have them tell that story about how they prayed to God and they, they never heard from God. When they prayed to God, all they heard was silence. She said, every story in the church has always got a great ending, right? But what about the ones that don't have great endings? Is there still room in the church for those? The third thing that I've learned from this story is thankfully, on occasion, victims speak. Thankfully, this little girl, this slave, who was a victim, she spoke out. I mean, think about it. She could have just remained a victim and said, you know, this is my lot in life. I'm not going to get out of this, and I'm just going to stay here, and I'm not of any use, and, you know, God has forgotten me. Uh, I'm, I'm just a poor, pathetic little girl. There's no future for me here. I'm just going to grow up and die. I mean, she could have been that kind of person. But she knew that her life wasn't about her. She knew that her life was about God, whether she was free or whether she was in bondage, whether she was in Israel or whether she was in Aram. Her life was in focus 
for God, the God of Israel. And so she spoke out about the prophet, about his healing, about their God. She spoke those words to the mistress, to Naaman's wife. And she said, go see him because he can heal your husband. And that's what happened, right? So I've thought about how many times have I been talking to someone, maybe you've had this experience, and they've been sharing with you, you know, a, a problem in their life, a struggle that they've had, and I listen, and then I walk away. I have been chastened now to remember to speak on behalf of God. What would it look like if I said to this person that I knew who was sharing this struggle that I could say, well, come with me because I know a place where everybody struggles. And there's a, in this place, they bring hope, they bring life, and they bring new life. Why don't you come with me? Well, where are you going? Come with me to church. Come with me to worship. Just come and see. See what God can do. This young woman had the temerity to speak to name his wife. I know of a prophet and his God who can heal your husband. Go and see. So we are followers of Jesus. And these lessons are intended for us so that we can be more in alignment with God as we seek to be more in alignment we become followers who will gather more followers not because of what we do but because of who we are so are you ready to follow amen